I heard a story one time, and I don't know if it's true. Were you a riverboat captain at one point whenever the barge or the boat you were piloting got in, like hit by a tornado or something? Yeah. That happened? Yeah, that happened to me. Yeah, oh, yeah I definitely want to talk to you about that. That was a scary thing. South of Natchez, Mississippi, 10 miles south of Natchez. I was south now. And uh, it was one of these days that you see where it's kind of greenish blue clouds and I was coming down the river. And then all at once out of one of these clouds, it just dropped down like I dropped my arm. And it started twisting and I seen it was a tornado. I mean, it's coming right down. The tail of it was in the river. And it, <laughs> it, it was stirring the water as it come, come right straight for me. I couldn't go nowhere. You sure don't want to go down the basement. That's the engine room on a boat. Uh, you couldn't do that. Of course, I had to stay there too in the pilot house. So uh, it hit the head of the toe. And when it hit, it was like, it was just like hitting my back. It, it, it shook everything on the boat and then of course the things blacked out I couldn't see I don't know whether the funnel lifted or whether it went to the side or whether it comes straight I don't know I seen trees and things flying through the air I could see that just a few feet out and uh, it broke the door off the starboard door yeah no the port door it was it was a port door it broke off the pilot house there was doors on both sides it uh it was a scary thing. I mean, that's it, then there was hard rain to shut out. It just took a little while, and it was all gone. Did, did you have to immediately take the boat to bank to assess the damage? What did you do? It kept running. Kept going. What were you hauling? We had empty gasoline barges. That's the worst kind of barges to have. You know, I'd seen tornadoes a couple times back gone in a direction down south in uh, along the Gulf Coast. You see them things go out across. Uh, there's they're little 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 funnel clouds. But this one was a regular tornado. It cleaned the bank uh, when I come back up the river about a week later when I come back up I I was I watched the bank there see where that storm come off of it. And it cleared a hole from probably a city block long. Trees and things was all, you could see them all tangled where it come through there. I'm sure that had to make you sort of a legend in the riverboat world, because I can't imagine many people had that experience. Well, I don't know about the legend. I don't know. When I seen that funnel cloud, I did call a boat that I knew was behind me about three miles. He was coming down behind me. So I called him real quick and uh, on the radio and told him I was about to get hit with a tornado. And he said, and I said, you may want to look out for it. And I hung the radio up. And all he said was, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> what else could you say? <laughs> I always remember him saying, oh, my God. Anyway. Well, you survived it. Yeah, we, we uh, all the boat got, I didn't tell you about that. It, when that funnel hit, or the tornado hit, it rolled the boat over kind of on the side. Well, what you've got on a boat is barge, barges to boat. You've got on each side cables that holds you in the boat against the barges. 
and the barges and the boat all becomes one unit. These cables was on, doubled up. When that storm hit and the boat would kind of roll to the side, you could hear these wires cracking and popping. And I was, it, it hit my thoughts uh, real quick that, man, I hope them don't break. Because if them would have broke, we might have capsized. But anyway, they held on that. How many other people were on the boat with you? I think we had a crew of 10, 10 people. Pretty good sized boat. Did they all make it back to the... Some of them was in bed, didn't even know it was happening. Really? Yeah. You, you got two watches. On a, on a boat, you got two watches. Forward watch and an after watch. The forward watch stands at six in the morning till noon. And the after watch comes on at noon and stands till six in the evening. The forward watch comes back on at six till midnight. And then the after watch comes on from midnight till six again. So each watch is standing 12 hours a day, split up into each six hour watches. So we, uh, we made it fine. Nobody got hurt. Uh, I was the most exposed being up there with all that glass around the pilot house and stuff. Everybody else was downstairs, but if the boat sunk, everybody would have been in jeopardy. What is the most dangerous part about being a riverboat captain? Like, is there, is it stuff in the river? Is it, uh, is it weather? Well, the danger, if, uh, the position as captain on a, on a riverboat, everyone's got the same amount of danger. So there's no, it's, it's decisions that you make as captain sometimes is, is where you could be and uh, run into problems. Uh, the captain is a master. The word master comes with the fact that a captain is a master of the vessel because he's in total charge. But he's also in total responsibility. The pilot, he's responsible for his actions while he's on watch. But the captain is responsible for that vessel 24 hours a day. And bad decisions and get the boat in trouble, and someone get killed or, or hurt bad. A lot of boats sank on the river, and uh, there, there's different things that happens. But and bad decisions can really get you in trouble. You know, I read a, I read oftentimes I'll see news reports where it says that a river boat has struck a pier on a bridge. Yeah, well, that's that happens, and there's again, there again is is one of the dangers uh, that you face when you come down. You cannot run just straight down. Some of them you can, where the current runs straight through. Cape Bridge is a good example. The old bridge was like that. You could run straight right down through it because the current runs through. But so many bridges, it's got up here on the bend, and the current comes out, and it runs across. So you don't want to come down here like this. you got to get over here in more position and kind of go down with the current. And I understand that Vicksburg, Mississippi, there's a real bend in the river that's kind of tough to navigate. Just, just north, just north of a bridge. And uh, Mike, my son, he goes down there as a port captain. They they use people to, when the river gets a certain stage, they use people to uh, guide boats down through the river, through there. And they do it from, you know, they tell them positions to get in. And that's what Mike does. But you gotta you gotta know them bridges, and that's where you, as a pilot, 
because you can't go wandering down there and it's a bridge, I'm going to go through it. I mean, you've got to know the current sets in them, and there's a lot of bridges around. Did you ever hit one? One time, one time. I had about a year in the pilot house when it happened. I was in Greenhorn. They figure you're not a river pilot or you're not a, a qualified pilot until you've got about five years behind you. And that's what they use as a judge for, I mean, you're you're responsible and everything the first day you sit down that seat. But that's pretty good for 35 years. I mean, happen to think you went under thousands of bridges. Oh yeah, I, I never had any, uh, I never had any major accidents, thank God. I'll knock on wood, but uh, there's a lot of dangers that you run into on a river. People don't have any idea. It's like these eddies down there on the lower river. I forget the name of the place, but there's a place down there that Eddie was working out almost halfway out in the river. And if you're coming down the river and you're not aware of that Eddie, it's right there at the channel. And if you you get a little over on that side and get into that, it can turn you around the river. And, and that's bad. I mean, if that happens, then you know what happens. You're writing a column now for the Southern Illinois, and you've been a prolific writer uh, for some time. You talked about the fact that you've written nine books. Where does your love or interest in writing come from? Well, I just like to put my thoughts down in, in writing. I, I've i been writing poetry for all my life, and uh, I just like things rhyme. Writing, when it comes to the writing of history, I like history, uh, especially local history, and World War II history, I like it. Uh, I was a teenager in World War II. I, I seen all the John Wayne movies. When I joined the Navy out of high school, I seen myself as a John Wayne, I guess. Did you station up at Great Lake? I went to boot camp in Great Lakes and uh, was on two different ships. First one was Old Battleship Mississippi, it was a battleship, and the other one was an APA, Amphibious Personnel Attack. The Korean War started while I was in the Navy, and uh, I, I got out of boot camp. They put me on the old Mississippi, and I we, we were testing ammunition out in the Chesapeake Bay, out of Norfolk, Virginia. We was out of Norfolk. We got there all week in Chesapeake Bay and fired these guns. To me, it was just ridiculous. I, I just didn't like it at all. And everything was, I mean, every time on the old Mississippi battleship, it was spit and shine. And uh, every time you passed an officer, good morning, sir, good evening, sir. And <laughs> whether they answer or not, that's what you had to do. And I I was wanting to go to Korea. So I'd, like I said, I'd seen these John Wayne movies and, uh, and all the others that, besides him. But anyway, uh, I volunteered to go on a ship going to Korea. And I'd been on the old Mississippi about 10 months. So I was approved to make the transfer and I went from Mississippi over to the Chilton. And various personnel attacked ship. I, I went on it and we left there a couple or three days after I got on it. And we went to, uh, to Moorhead City, North Carolina. That's next to Camp Lejeune, and loaded 1,500 Marines, and we left there for Korea. 
we loaded them and their equipment. It was the first day out of Norfolk, the first day or night, I guess it was when it happened. We ended up with a boiler malfunction on the ship and we become disabled to continue on. The next day they had another ship alongside of us. We had to get before we could drop anchor and another ship come alongside with our booms and their booms. Everything was transferred over to them. The 1,500 Marines went over. We come back to Norfolk, went back. Anyway, we went into the shipyard and got our, worked on our problems. So I figured, well, by the time they get done there, we'd probably get more orders and load again and go. Well, we didn't. When, when we got out of the shipyard in about 30 days, our orders were to take the ship's place that took our place that we loaded on. And they went on to Korea were to take their place and orders, and their orders had been to go to the North Atlantic and Mediterranean on maneuvers and join the occupied forces that was called, uh, back then it was still still being occupied. Europe was a lot of under occupation yet. Yes. And uh, so we was one of the occupation forces. Well, we left Norfolk, got the Marines again at Morehead City took off and we went there and spent seven months over there on maneuvers. Uh, a lot of islands where the, they made landings during World War One. I, I mean World War Two. Of course, that hadn't been that long. You know, you're talking only four or five years, which is a short period yes. since the war ended. Right. Anyway, I was in Naples. And I was in Gibraltar, Naples, Italy, France, Italy, Spain, Denmark, Every island in the Mediterranean, uh, just about uh, Cyprus, and uh, I even run a landing craft from, well, that's what I did, by the way. When I got on that APA, I was a landing craft operator. You've seen these, they don't even have them anymore in the Navy. Mm -hmm. But these landing craft come into the beach and they drop the ramp. Soldiers run up the bank. Well, that's what I operated. You lift your rank, back off, go back and get some more. This was my job there. So anyway, I had a good, uh, I enjoyed the Navy. We had a lot of, I seen a lot of Europe and, and we was down in the Caribbean too, a couple of times, uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico, and uh, this different places. Oh, there was another thing. We was in Naples, Italy for three months. We got orders. We'd been over in the Caribbean or in the Mediterranean on maneuvers. And we got orders to offload all Marines at Marseilles, I believe it was, and proceed to Naples, Italy. And we we did that and tied up alongside the Adirondack. It was a ship that uh, Admiral Robert B. Corney, he was the admiral of the U.S. fleets in the Mediterranean overall, and that was his office, that ship, the Adirondack. And we tied up, and we was to act as a birthing ship for sailors that was sent over to go into the different ships in the Mediterranean, mm -hmm. operating in the Mediterranean. So we was, since we were, uh, carried 1,500 Marines, we had spaces for that many people to sleep. So we tied up alongside the Admiral's flagship and we would receive these guys as they come waiting on their ships, different ships would come to, into Naples. My job at that time, was police and make sure I had a crew I forget, six, seven men, and make sure the birthing spaces where these troops slept and lived was kept clean. 
And I every day I'd go down and go through the troop spaces and just check everything around, make sure everything was healthy, I guess you could say. So I'm doing that one day, and I'm going down this in the middle of all these boxes and stuff, and there's a piece of paper laying there. And I reached down, picked it up, and got to reading it. I had started over. There's a guy laying in his bunk with his shoes on. So I had started over there to tell him. That's the reason I was going that way, to tell him he needed to take his shoes off. So I picked that piece of paper up, and I was, I, I was trying to make out what it said. And somebody said, Charlie, is that you? And I looked around. It's that guy in the bed with his shoes on. And as a guy I went to high school with, you may have heard the name, Joe Miles. Joe Miles, he lived in DeSoto. He died there not long ago. It was Joe Miles, somebody I had been in school with, same same class. <laughs> and here I run on time in Naples, Italy, on the ship I'm on. <laughs> but he's being transferred to his brother's ship, Benny. Huh. Benny Miles. Benny was on a destroyer. It's a small world after all. Yeah, so he was waiting on... Many ship, and that's why he was on that ship of mine, where I was at. Yeah. Another guy I seen was uh, in the Marines, and he, it said Ava on it. Ava, I thought it was a girl's name, Ava. Anyway, curiosity kills the cat, you know, and that's what they said. I couldn't stand it. I kept thinking, Ava, I wonder, it, but that must be a girl's name, Ava, his girlfriend or something. Well, I, I walked over to him finally, and I said, hey, I said, what's that Ava stand for? And he said, I, you'd never heard of it, but it's, uh, it's a little town in Illinois. And I said, uh, well, I've never heard of it if you've never heard of Grand Tower. And that's exactly what I said. And he said, <laughs> he said oh, I've heard of Grand Tower. And we got to talking. His name was Falkenberry. They were raised, in, he was raised in Ava. Anyway, they lived here. Uh, his, some of his cousins lived here in Grand Tower and still do. 